The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to the chief priests and elders of the people, What is your opinion? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And he said in reply, I will not, but afterwards changed his mind and went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said in reply, yes, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They answered, the first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. When John came to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did. Yet even when you saw that, you did not later change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the collect, the opening prayer for today's Mass, we had a remarkably powerful and beautiful statement about God. The church cries out today and says, Almighty Father, who manifest your almighty power. Think about that for a moment. What does it mean to show power? What does it mean to manifest the fact that you can do anything? If you were almighty, what would you do? If you were all powerful, what would that mean? And we said something very particular today about what that means in the case of God. You manifest your almighty power most perfectly in pardoning and showing mercy. Now, how many of us, I'm not asking for a show of hands, would have said, if I was almighty, I would begin by forgiving? Rather, we might say, if I was almighty, oh boy, are people going to learn? And note the difference then between the Lord and us, and what a remarkably beautiful statement that is. That the Lord is so mighty, he doesn't need to recklessly assert himself. The Lord is so secure in his power and in his goodness, he can afford to forgive. What a remarkable statement that is, because the Lord is capable of punishment. The Lord is capable of destroying his enemies. The Lord is capable of bringing to an end all of that which opposes him. And yet amazingly, the Lord is willing to be patient and to look for an opportunity not to punish but to forgive. 
how different from us, who oftentimes assert our power, assert our ability, assert whatever little strength we have in the most capricious ways because oftentimes the human heart lives in a manner that is merely reactive. We spend a lot of time simply responding to life, don't we? We find that we have no patience because little things out of nowhere bother us in some way and we react. One of the classic dynamics of what we see in families between older brothers and younger brothers, older sisters and younger sisters, brothers and sisters, is sooner or later one or the other of them knows what pushes the buttons. And so they do that thing, they say that thing, and what happens? As soon as they do it, there's an angry reaction. It happens, doesn't it? I was an older brother, I lived through a lot of this. <laughs> and I'm guilty of a lot of it. Um, but, but know what happens. And why, say, does the younger brother keep annoying the older brother? Because he knows it works. He knows if I say this, you're going to get volcanic. And when you get volcanic, you're the one who's getting in trouble. Oh, we know this in our families, but what is really happening is the younger one is controlling the older one. He's saying, I can snap my fingers and make you dance. I can snap my fingers and make you react. And you always react. So much of life is like that for us, isn't it? The world impinges on us and we react. Without thinking, automatically we assert ourselves, our anger comes out of us. It's not that we want to be angry, it's not that we plan it, but we do. And so we find that so much of ourselves is actually out of our control. You manifest your almighty power most perfectly in pardoning and showing mercy. The world doesn't snap its fingers and you dance. The world doesn't push your button and you respond. Note how marvelous a statement that is. The world we live in looks at things like mercy as weakness, looks at things like forgiveness as being a fool. And yet, note what we see. Our immediate, often destructive reactiveness is what's really foolish. Our immediate, often destructive reactiveness is what really never allows us to be fully and truly free. Because something is always provoking and controlling us. You, O oh Lord, are not easily provoked. That's the context, this beautiful reality about God who is in his power so marvelously serene, so marvelously at peace, so marvelously untroubled that he can be patient and he can be good. And when we put it that way, isn't that what we want for ourselves? To have a heart that secure that untroubled, a heart that can't be shaken or moved so easily so that when the world snaps its fingers, I recognize I don't have to dance. I don't have to jump. I don't 
have to move. I don't have to react. And it's out of this, then, that we have our readings. Our first reading where the Lord looks at the world and accuses him of being unfair. And what, in a sense, is the accusation, I was good once, and I'm punished. And the Lord is thinking, yeah, you were good once. But what about all of the other times? And so the Lord says, let's be honest about this. What matters is how your life ends up. And there are many who start wrong and recognize the wrong and change. And as wrong as they were, they still can move toward life. And I will let them because I will wait. But that waiting of the Lord has a double side to it because there are many who start off good, who start off with advantages, who start off gentle, and yet over time begin reacting and responding to the world in a way that makes them cruel, makes them petty, makes them selfish. And the Lord says, and if that's the way it ends up, then the reward is the reward of the petty heart the cruel heart, the vicious heart, and that's no reward at all. But note how this is all predicated on the patience of God, who is willing to give life sufficient time to grow, to unfold, and the individual sufficient time to come to his senses or to lose them, and in losing them, hopefully come back to them. Note then, the Lord is not that one who waits and looks for an opportunity to punish the first mistake, because if that's the case, none of us would be here. Rather, the Lord is willing to wait, and the Lord is willing to endure and put up with incredible things from us, because the Lord understands we're weak. He's not, and he's strong enough to wait. He's strong enough to be patient. He is strong enough to extend his kindness, even to those like us who don't deserve it. And so it is then that Jesus tells this marvelous parable, this parable of three sons. And now you're looking at me saying, Father, he only mentioned two of them in the gospel. There's three sons in that story. There's three sons in that parable. And so Jesus says, and he pulls the, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees together. Why? Because those are the ones who, like me right now, wear the garment of holiness. They are those who have made the public statement that I will be faithful to the Lord. And Jesus says, all right, you guys come to me. And let me ask you a question. A man had two sons, and he said to the first, go out and work in my vineyard, and that son looked his dad in the eye and said, no, I'm not going to do that. And then, sometime later in the day, realized that that was the way to talk to my father. Realized that, well, who do I think I am? Let me go and do what he asked me to do. And then there was the other one. And the father said to him, 
Go out and work in my vineyard. And the other son, we don't know if he's the older one or the younger one, but he makes a show out of saying yes. Yes, Dad, I will go there right away. You can count on me. I'm your guy. I am going. I will get that done. And then he doesn't go. And again, if we pause and we just think of our own experience of life, on any given day, we might have been one or the other of these two. On any given day, we might regularly run into one or the other of these two. The one who says, I will be with you, but doesn't show up. The one who first says, no, I'm not going to do that, and then who says, you know, on second thought, maybe I will. And so Jesus simply says, which one actually did his father's will? And so note the question. Not which one said he would do his father's will. Not which one made a polite demonstration of his own goodness. He doesn't say which one was rebellious. He simply says which one actually did what was asked of him. And the answer is a very simple one, and so the, first, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests all say together, well, the first guy, obviously, because he actually did it. He actually went. And that's when Jesus stops and he looks at those who are flattering themselves about their own goodness. And he says, and that's your problem. You guys are like the second son. You talk a very good game about being faithful. You talk a very good game about being a good person. You talk a really good game about wanting to live the right way, but you never get around to doing it. You never look at the Lord and say, I don't need you. You never look at the Lord and say, I don't want you. But by your actions, that's exactly what you're saying. I can't be bothered. I've got other things that keep coming up. You know, we don't know why the second son never got there. Maybe something came up. Something always comes up, doesn't it? Something always comes up. Maybe he said, you know, I'm just tired. I'm not going to do it. It can't be that important. Maybe, maybe his word doesn't mean anything to him. We don't know. But we do know that he made a show of saying he would, and then he was gone. And Jesus now looks at those, those responsible for giving good example, those responsible for guiding the people. And he says, you lead with your words, but there's no follow through. And that really is a problem. And he says, those you look down on and you say every day, thank God I'm not him. That guy's actually ahead of you right now because he recognized how off course he was. And he said, you know, I don't have to stay this way. I can come back. I can make a move. I can make a change. And even if it's the very end of the day and there's only half an hour left to get some work done, I can at least go and do that. And note the difference. 
There was a nastiness about the first son, a defiance about the first son. He's not polite. He's aggressively negative. And yet, in the end, out of that, he was so obviously wrong, so defiantly wrong, that at some point his pride melted. And he said, but I don't have to be this way. And I can change. I know what Jesus is saying right there. This is what matters. It's not that what we say and how we say it is unimportant, but it's never the most important thing. In the end, the issue is, will I actually take a risk, make a move to do what I know I need to do? Or is something always going to come up? Is something always going to be more important? Am I always going to be living at a low energy level where I just don't think I can take a step? Or am I going to say, well, Lord, I want to take the step. Help me do it. Let me move in your direction. How powerful and important that is, the recognition that sooner or later we actually have to move. And that brings us to the third son. And now you're looking at me. Father, where is he? I don't see him. He's the guy who's telling the story. The other son. The son of God. The son of Mary. Who is looking out at the world at those he wants to make his brothers. Other sons. And what does he say? Who is he? He's the one who, when his father said, in my power, I will forgive the world and I want you to go and make it happen. Go work in my vineyard. He said yes. Note the difference now with this son. This is the son who, when the father acts, says yes and lives yes. He's the one who goes to the vineyard as soon as he is asked. He is the one who agrees, and he is the one who shows up and faithfully carries out the work. Note the contrast there. On the one hand, Jesus is saying, it's better to be the one who is defiant and changes than to be the one who pretends to be obedient. But the reality is, it's even better to be the one who is obedient right away and lives through it. This is why we have that beautiful second reading from Philippians today, where St. Paul, writing to the church in the city of Philippi, says to the Christians, have within you the same attitude that is in Christ Jesus. And we hear that and the reaction is, well, that sounds like good advice. Have the attitude of Jesus within you. Have the spirit of Jesus within you. We Christians say that stuff like that all the time, don't we? Oh, be like Jesus. But the real question is, what does that even mean? What is the attitude of Jesus? What is the spirit of Jesus? What does it mean to actually be or live like Jesus? And you notice we rarely ever ask that question. We just like to say, be like Jesus. And if we ask the question, well, what would that be? Well, well Jesus is nice. Jesus is kind. And we start making stuff up. And, you know, again, that's not horribly wrong. 
but it's also no real way forward. The great thing about St. Paul is he doesn't let us make stuff up. So he's going to tell us exactly what the attitude of Jesus is. He's going to tell us exactly what the spirit of Jesus is. He's going to tell us exactly what it is to be like Jesus. And so St. Paul says, I want you to have the same attitude, the same spirit that is in Christ Jesus, who did not grasp after equality with God. He didn't seek to reach beyond himself. He didn't seek his own glory. Boy, we're already saying something. But rather he emptied himself and even took the form of a slave, becoming weak like us. And all of a sudden, being like Jesus sounds really hard. Being like Jesus sounds very different than those safe generic adjectives we like to use. He emptied himself, even becoming like a slave, being found like us. And then St. Paul says, and for Jesus, that's not enough. He then became obedient even unto death, death on a cross. That's the spirit of Jesus. And it was from that cross that God lifted him up into glory. And note what St. Paul says. If you want the glory of Jesus, start with the humility of Jesus. If you want the glory of Jesus, start with the obedience of Jesus. Lay yourself and your self-interest and your fragile pride aside. And you'll begin to live like him. And who is he? He's the son who says yes to the will of his father and lives yes to the will of his father. And note the starting point. He doesn't seek his own glory. He gives himself. And in giving himself and bowing before his father, he becomes obedient. And it is out of that obedience he is lifted to the very height of glory given the name that is above every other name. And in just a few minutes, in just a few minutes, note how marvelous this is. Because the one who will not grasp after equality with God is going to, even though he is equal with his father, is going to empty himself again onto this altar. And he who is glorious and mighty beyond all others is going to hide himself in the appearance of a little piece of bread and a few ounces of wine. Imagine that. That's what happens every time we say Mass. And why? Because he who was obedient unto death for you still wants to give himself to you. Note how marvelous that is. And here, all of a sudden, beautifully, more so than simply hearing it, we literally get to have within ourselves the spirit of Christ Jesus because we're receiving him. And that is who we receive. And that is what we receive. And in receiving him, he wants to put that spirit of true sonship within us. 
On any given day, I might be the guy who pretends to be good. On any given day, I might be the guy who was bad but is trying to be good. But here, I get to receive the one who has always been good. And why? So that little by little, my spirit can become more like his. That when I know what the Father asks of me, I say yes, and I live yes. Imperfectly, perhaps, but as best I can. What a great and wonderful mystery this is. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. The Father still says, go and work in my vineyard, and the Son still comes. And we are those who benefit from that. Amen.